Amen. God is here. Amen. You know, statistics show that the longer someone is a Christian, the less non-believing friends people have. And studies also show that especially within the first five to ten year uh, bracket of when people become Christians, uh, most people have less than 5% non-Christian friendships within their spheres of relationships. And it shows that the longer that we're Christians, uh, the less likely we are going to be able to understand what it means to be lost without Christ uh, because we've lost touch of these relationships. And the danger with that is that we also lose the heart of God for the lost. Uh, so one of the dangers is the longer we become Christians, statistics tell us, uh, the less likely we can care about the lost and the more we begin caring about smaller issues, that when we lose sight of the big things of God, that his heart for missions, for the nations to know him, the big things about the reason why God has placed you with certain non-believing relationships in your sphere of influence, the reason why a big picture thing is so that you might pray for them, that you might share the gospel with them, that you might be Christ to them. When we lose sight of some of the big picture things of God and just dwell within our own circle of comfortable believing friends, we begin focusing on some smaller things and we make them the big thing. Uh, for example, uh, it's sad, but I know of a lot of churches that they've kind of lost their mission of God in terms of going to the lost and they became so inward focused they begin bickering and fighting over a lot of small things because to them they're just looking at small things and for them it's a big thing one would be uh, the color of the carpet it's sad but I actually know of one church they literally almost split because they were arguing over what color the new carpet in the sanctuary should be you know one group was like it should be red signifying the blood of Christ no, it should be green, signifying new life in Christ. Red, green, ah! You know? And so they almost like split. And I wish I was joking. Uh, but again, they lost sight of the big things, so they only think these small things are the main things. And another church that I know, um, they're all into uh, the music and the musical instruments. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, uh, my friends and I, we made a band together. And it was kind of like a U2 cover band because we only played U2 songs. Uh, you know, we all loved U2. And so, uh, well, I wish we would let's play U2. And so we just played that the whole time. And uh, most of us were Christians. And uh, we would go and rotate to uh, different churches to practice and to play. And I still remember this moment. One time we went to one of my friend's churches and we were in his gym and we were playing. Um, and suddenly, while we were playing, this elderly man runs into the gym and points to our drummer. He says, stop, stop it right now, stop it right now. And we all like freeze, like, what's up? And he goes, that is an instrument from the jungles of hell. And, ah, you know, it's like, get that instrument out of this church. And we're like, whoa. You know, he basically kicked us out. Uh, and the reason why is like, because he believed uh, that drums were Satan's instrument, you know. And what was funny is I was so tempted to open up my Bible and like read Psalm 150, you know, praise him with the clashing of symbols, praise him with the resounding symbols, you know, but I, you know, I held my tongue because it wasn't my church, and so I didn't want to get my friend in trouble, um, and it was amazing because he was telling me, it's like, yeah, actually, uh, 
they, they, they really don't like, you know, contemporary instruments in the church and stuff. And so it amazes me that when people lose sight of the big picture and only focus on their small comfort zones, those things become the main things. And those things are the wrong things to be the main things. Amen? And so that's why it's important for us to take a step back every once in a while and ask ourselves, are we focusing on the main things of God? Do we care about the things that God cares about? Or are our passions, our energy being poured into the small things or the wrong things? And that's actually what this text in this final chapter of Jonah will address for us. The question, this final chapter in this very interesting letter, interesting book of Jonah is a look at our own hearts and to ask, do we really care about the right things? Do we care about the things that God cares about? Now remember, as we're going through this journey of Jonah, the story of Jonah has been a constant reminder of God's continual mercies that pursue us in his grace, in his patience, to the worst of sinners, but also to the worst of saints. You know, after a reckless time of rebellion, Jonah finally obeys the call of God. And in today's text, we will now get some deeper insight into the true heart and mindset of Jonah. We discover that he missed the big things of God. He missed the main things of God. He missed the things that God cared about. And so the question we want to ask ourselves today is, do we care about the right things? So the first question uh, that we need to ask ourselves is this. Do we celebrate the generosity of God? So everyone say celebrate. Do we celebrate in his generosity? Right? We care about the right things when we rejoice in God's goodness towards others. Are we thankful when God blesses others? Are we thankful when that blessing happens? Uh, or are we resentful when God blesses people that we don't really like? How does Jonah respond to this revival and the forgiveness God brought to the people of Nineveh? Now, remember last week, and Jonah's going around to this, you know, to this corner of Nineveh. He's like, guys, you know, God really does not like what you guys, you know, turn or burn, right? God's mad at you, right? And so he's like, forget you guys, right? So he keeps going from corner to corner to street corner to street corner to block to block. So turn or burn, guys, right? Turn your life over to God or God's going to turn your life over to sin. And so he's just going, he doesn't really care, and he's almost hoping they don't turn to God, right? He's like, all right, so God's ticked off, right? Change your ways, you're going to be destroyed, <laughs> right? And so he just kind of keep going, and he doesn't really care. And what happens as he's going, every single place that he just left, revival breaks out, right? People are on their knees crying out to God, wearing sackcloth, sitting in dust, putting sackcloth on their donkeys and mules and cows and declaring a fast for all the people and you know these cows are mooing in mourning and people are mooing and so all this revival is breaking out right and so as he's going around he's like turn or burn right and then, god we're so sorry and, and so how does he respond to that so in the midst of this amazing revival for the city how does jonah respond right i mean what a successful mission right i mean what Oh, an amazing preacher, right? Turn or burn, they turn, right? Uh, was he happy? Let's look. Let's look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read verse 1 together. Ready to begin? But Jonah was greatly displeased 
and became angry. What a result, right? So I would have been, oh, God is awesome, right? Dude, you're awesome, God, right? This is revival happening, but what was Jonah? He was greatly displeased. Not only he was angry. This should have been a book of celebration. This book of Jonah should have been chapter by chapter. It should have been filled with celebration, but instead we see a rebellious, complaining prophet. God saved his life from the ocean. There should have been celebration. There was for a time time being. He was given another chance to be used by God and to get back on mission with God. God used his life to bring revival to a whole city that was sinful. But instead of celebration, he's angry. So literally, verse 1 is saying this. To Jonah, it was a disaster, a great disaster. He became angry. And so that's the nuance behind verse 1. As he's looking at this horrible, what what the heck is happening? This is horrible. To Jonah, it was a disaster that disaster did not come upon Nineveh. And so angry, so he was angry. And the word angry here means burning. It means a burning anger, inflamed with anger. And so he's really ticked off at God. He's like, Oh, man, I can't believe they're turning to God. No judgment, no fire, nothing like that. So he's angry. Because realize, again, the Ninevites, they were pretty, they're mean people. They're evil people. They're like modern-day Nazis or like modern-day Al-Qaeda, right? So if like walking into the Al-Qaeda camp, God sends you there, you're like, I wouldn't want to go there either, right? But it's like you go there and you're like, God is really mad with you guys. And you step up to Osama bin Laden, right? He's like, God is ticked. Turn or burn, I'm out of here, right? So just leave, and then all of a sudden they fall on their knees. They're crying out in repentance, right? So again, these guys, these these guys were jerks, right? They're evil. They deserve judgment and death, and he wanted God's judgment, right? Not his mercy. And then look at verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So what an interesting prayer. Again, Jonah cracks me up. He is a funny guy. So, but one positive, uh, in the, actually, yeah, one positive we could really try to f- really scrape up and find in the midst of this final chapter is that in the midst of his anger, he is praying to God. I think that's one positive we could learn from this, uh, at least from verse 2, right? So he's ticked off. He's like, like revival's breaking out. He's seeing people turn to Christ. He's mad. He's like, again, it's flamed, burning anger. No, this is not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to burn them, kill them, destroy them, right? And so now he clearly reveals why he fled. Why did Jonah leave? Why when God said, go to Nineveh, and he leaves the other way? He reveals why. Look at verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Darshish. Why? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So this is amazing. Why did he flee? It is because of the compassionate nature of God. Amazing. Jonah, weird guy, right? An amazing guy. He says, I knew it. I knew it. I anticipate. 
<laughs> Look at what he's complaining about. He's complaining about the character. I knew you're patient. God, I knew it with sinners. Return. You're, you're going to forgive them. Man. It's like, I knew it. I knew you were slow in anger, abounding in love. Right? He's like complaining. So instead of celebrating and praising the character of God, Jonah is complaining about it. A very selfish and childish complaint. It's kind of like this. You know, I, I kind of am trying to imagine uh, a scenario that we could compare this to. It would be like, let's say this little boy. Uh, you know, it's like this five-year-old little boy is in this uh, kind of uh, poor town and suddenly like this Baskin Robbins comes into the city, Right? And it's, oh my goodness, ice cream, look at that pink and blue. And, right? and so then he has, you know, doesn't have money, his parents don't have a lot of money. So every day he like peeks through the window of the Baskin Robbins like, oh, that looks good, right? And then all of a sudden the uh, owner kind of sees him and then calls him inside. And he's like, me? Hmm? Who runs inside? And he's like, what ice cream do you want? He's like, I don't have money, right? That's all right, I'll give it to you for free. He's like, oh, really? Okay, I want this one, right? And he gives it to him. And he starts eating it. He walks home. And all his neighborhood kids, they're also kind of in poverty. They're like, where did you get that? He's like, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you, right? He's like eating and he's enjoying it. And then once a week, he keeps going back. And he looks through the window. And the guy calls him in. What do you want today? And he gives it to him, right? And so he goes home and goes through his neighborhood. And he's all happy. He's like, oh, yeah. Right? And then suddenly, the neighborhood kids, they decide, you know, let's follow this guy next time. Let's spy him. So they kind of watch, and then they go, and now they all peep in through the window. <laughs> oh, right? And the guy, store owner, come, you know, invites them all, come on in. Right? And he treats them all to ice cream. And this little boy is making his weekly trip, and he sees all of his friends are in there, and his neighborhood kids, and even the punk bully, and also he runs in there. And he's like, stop it! Stop it! Yelling at the owner, stop it. He's a jerk. He's poor. He never paid me back my dollar. Right? And he's like telling him, oh, right? And when we look at him, like, what a selfish, childish guy. Why? Because he forgot grace. He forgot that he was the recipient of grace. And that is the exact same heart behind Jonah and in his response to this today. You see, we need to remember the condition that we were in when we first experienced God's generous grace towards us. That it was not because we were good enough. It's not because we were clean enough. It's not because we impressed God that God showed grace upon us. It was in our filth, our rebellion, our sinfulness when we had zero inclination towards God. God, in his mercy, softened our hearts that we might be able to receive his grace. It is nothing that we've done. It doesn't matter how many years you've been to church. It doesn't matter if your parents were elders, deacons, whatever in the church. God looked purely by his grace, by his mercy, and took pity upon us. Amen? It's not because of us. It's not because we were good. For some of us, we're like, yeah, of course God picked me. I mean, it's me, right? And we think that we somehow deserve God to be gracious. We deserve this grace. But we must never forget that it was in our poverty and depravity of sin when God decided to give us mercy. Now look at verse 3. Now, O Lord, 
Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What just happened? God used this guy to bring revival in the city. God, this is sickening, right? These people, these jerks, these punk, 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 punks, they all should be judged and die. They're so mean, right? Fire, consume them, destroy them. That's what should happen, right? And so that's what he's wanting to happen. And so now God has mercy upon him. And then he's like pouting. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. That's why I feel like God. So he's mad. And so now he's saying, God, just kill me. I can't bear to watch this. Just let me die. So he'd rather die than to see these people find God's grace. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? God is asking, what good comes out of this anger of yours? Is it causing good that you should burn with anger? And so he says, have you any right to be angry? Now, what's interesting is Jonah does not answer that this first time around. And the answer is clear. The answer is an obvious no. We do not have any rights to be angry with God ever. Ever. We have no rights to be angry at a good God as one who is not good. We have no right to question the wisdom of God as a, as a fallen, foolish people. He is always good. We are not. He is always wise. We are not. And though we do not understand his ways, his people trust and surrender under the sovereignty of God and how he orchestrates. Amen? So there is a danger in that. You know, it's been said that anger is one letter short from danger. And what is that danger for Jonah and for us? That danger is a heart that no longer cares about the people who need God. So we need to ask ourselves this. Is my view of God's grace exclusive or inclusive of others? God, yeah, bless my family. You know, take care of the people I like, but the rest of the people I don't like, yeah, just do whatever you want. Are we exclusive or inclusive in view of God's grace? Verse 5, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So he leaves the city, and he's just kind of watching. Again, he's angry, and he's hoping, I hope God changes his mind. Again, he's burning with anger, right? So he's ticked. I knew it, God, I knew it. Just let me die. Right? So he's, he's waiting upon this hill. Again, he's just fuming. He's probably just catching his breath in it. You know, three days of preaching, right? Three days of this revival happening. And, right? Just, maybe God's going to change his mind. Come on, fire. Come on. Right? And so as he's waiting for God, hoping that God might change his mind and destroy the city anyways, what we see is he does not care about the things that God cares about. What about us? Do we care about the right things? Do we celebrate the generous heart of God towards others? or only when God is good towards us. 
A sign that we understand God's mercy upon our lives is when we celebrate God's mercy upon other people's lives. Right? That if God were to somehow save and bless... What is, who is someone in your life that you don't really care about, that you really dislike? Right? It could be a relative who's hurt you, maybe even abused you in the past. Right? It's, it could be a neighbor who's rude to you. It could be a coworker who annoys you and has the gift of getting under your skin in less than three seconds. And you know those people? It's like, right when you meet them, hey, what's up, right? Um, and do you care if these people who have hurt you, people who annoy you, do you care if they go to hell or not? How would you feel if God saved them? If God saved Osama bin Laden or Hitler or Saddam Hussein right before they died, would we hate it or would we celebrate it? their salvation? Do we care about the right things, the things that God cares about? And that is the lesson for us today. Do our hearts care for the things of God? Can we celebrate his generosity even towards our enemies? So that's the first test for us to see, do we really care about the right things? Can we celebrate his grace towards people we don't really like? A second question we need to ask is this, do we appreciate the many gifts of God? So everyone say appreciate. Do we appreciate the many gifts that God gives to people? So to cultivate a heart that pleases God, I think it's important for us to also appreciate the many gifts that God gives. Verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a vine. So God is providing this vine and made it grow. So God even made it grow, grow up over Jonah to give shade over his head to ease his what? Discomfort, okay? And Jonah was what? Very happy about the vine. So now, in the midst of this, okay, so he's ticked, fuming on this side of the hill, hoping God's going to change this story. And then, again, it's the heat, the sun is really pounding on him. He's like, oh, my God, it's hot. Just kill me, God. It stinks. And suddenly, God causes the vine to come. God provides shade. And it says he's very happy. So he's like, oh, this is nice. This is nice. I like this. And so he's happy, very happy. He's happy for this gift of God upon his life. Now, one thing to note, in preparation of our hearts to really become sensitive to the things of God, for the child of God, we need to acknowledge and appreciate that all good gifts in life are from God. Amen? All good gifts in life are from God. We may complain about bad hair days. Oh, not today. It's not working today, right? But praise God, you have hair. Most of you, right? Most of us here too. And for those who don't, you might complain, but I don't have hair. But you praise God, you got skin to cover your head, right? Find something. You could thank God for something there, right? And it could be, again, the friendships of loved ones, the fellowship over good food, the air that we breathe. May we learn to appreciate the gifts of God that surround us. Because every good and perfect gift comes from our Father. Amen? So even that person next to you is a gift from God to somebody in this world. And you also are a gift of God to someone in this world. So turn to somebody next to you and say, you are a gift from God. Amen? And I really think that perspective is going to radically change the culture of churches. 
when you can really see each person that is in this place as a gift from God to somebody in this world, that's going to radically alter how you perceive others. So we also say to God, God, you, I thank you for the many gifts in my life. So if we're going to cultivate our hearts to care for the right things, we need to learn to appreciate the many gifts of God that surround us each day of our lives. One thing that I've always encouraged congregations to do in uh, my past churches and stuff is to learn how to dry God's flowers. And what do I mean by that? Okay, so, so it's like, you know, uh, people dry flowers all the time, right? Girls dry flowers that guys give them all the time. How does this happen? Okay, so boy meets girl, right? Boy notices girl, right? And he's like, hey. And even with like Valentine's Day passed recently, right? I mean, Korea, they know how to milk it for all it's worth, right? They got a red day. They got a white day. They even got a black day, right? So for everybody who... <laughs> You missed out on everything, every chance you got this year, go eat some jajangmyeon, right? So what is that? <laughs> Where did that come from, right? You know a Chinese store owner invented that holiday, right? Hey, business, right? Anyway, okay. So what do they do, right? So why do girls dry flowers? Is it so that when they break up, it'll light on fire quicker? No. Why? Why do girls dry flowers? So that that moment and memory will last, right? So that when you receive that flower, when they receive that flower from that loved one, they don't want to forget this moment, so they want to dry it. They want to keep it going. They want it to last so that every time they see that flower, they remember the person, they remember the moment, they remember the love behind the flower. And so that's what it means to dry the flower until, again, until they break up and then trash, light it, right? But... It is, I believe, a very important spiritual principle and discipline for the people of God to dry the flowers of God. Because we need to realize that God gives us gifts every single day of our lives. You may not realize it until you begin seeing it through an eternal lens. It could be an encouraging email that somebody sent you that lifted up your day. In the springtime, it could be the warmth of a breeze those days when it's all of a sudden a warm breeze, you close your eyes, you're like, man, this is what it means to be alive. You know what I mean? Those kind of days. Or it could be somebody opening the door for you when your hands were full from grocery shopping. It could be somebody just knowing how to pray for you in just the right way when you were down. Different ways, every single day of our lives, God plants flowers throughout our path, throughout our days. And for the wise person, for the observant person, they will not only pick those flowers throughout the day, they will dry those flowers. Keep a journal. If you don't keep a journal, if you're like a, a you know, computer geek, whatever, you know, type it in, keep it online, whatever. But what I do is just uh, for many years now, I begin with thank you, God. So at the end of the day, you know, like type in the date. And I'll, all I say is thank you, God, for, and then bullet point for this, for this phone call, you know, for this encouraging email that I got for the way that you know, my wife prepared this amazing meal for me, for the way that she served me, for this, for that. All these different ways that my life for this day was filled with the gifts of God for me. And you see what starts happening. The reason why this is important is because you'll realize how good God really is in our lives every day when you do this. But if we don't do this, it's so easy to forget. When our dark days, when our hard days come, it's so easy for us to go, God, you're never good to me. You're always good to everybody. You've never given me anything. 
You never answer any of my prayers. And so it's so easy to complain. Why did the Israelites wander for so long? They forgot the goodness of God. They forgot the power of God in their lives to deliver. They complained. They forgot to dry God's flowers. And so their hearts became hardened because their memory also became hardened. But a cool thing is, so when I look back, when I have hard days, and I'm like, you know, you're tempted to say, God, you're never good to me. You've always blessed other people, but not me. And when I'm tempted to do that, all I have to do is look at journal upon journal upon journal for the past several years and realize God has blessed my life big time. And that will soften your heart, create a heart of thanksgiving, but also prepare your heart to care for the right things. Amen? Because you're not going to be too busy having a self-pity party about how God's not good to you all the time. You could bypass that and realize God is good. Amen? Jonah forgot the gifts of God, and so he became resentful instead of thankful. Let us learn to appreciate the many gifts of God. But also, the reason why this is important, to appreciate that all good things are from God, all the gifts of God are from His good hand, because the heart of faith will hold on to Him even for the gifts He takes away. All of life is a gift. God surrounds us with gifts. And when God chooses to take it away, we will still be thankful. Look at verse 7. It says, but at dawn the next day, who provided? God provided what? A worm that chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, who provided? God provided what? A scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die again. And said, it would be better for me to die than to live, right? He is so much like you and me, right? Thus, average Joe. He is such an average Joe. God, I'm uncomfortable. Let me just die. I got a dentist appointment. Oh, God, let me die tonight. I got a test tomorrow. God, let me just kill me now. He's so much like us. But when we appreciate that all of life is a gift from God, We can still give thanks when he takes those gifts away because it was from him. It is his. And if he chooses to take back what is his, we can give thanks for that. Job is probably one of the most amazing examples of this in the Old Testament. I'm reading through Job right now, and this guy blows my mind away. Job understood that all of life was a gift. His health was a gift. His wealth was a gift. His children was a gift. Even his wife who told him, curse God and die. I'm assuming he thought she was a gift too, right? And even when Satan takes it all away, hoping that he would curse God, Job says this, naked I came from my mother's womb, meaning I came with nothing. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave me everything and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What a God-exalting declaration of faith. This is how I see this verse unpacked. Job is saying this, God, you are the giver of all things in my life. Everything. The clothes, the health, my family, the fact that I am not cha- or tied to this tube in my body because I am not dying of this wretched, deathly disease. That is the grace of God. I don't have to have... I'm not... I don't earn or deserve health, good health. This is all grace. He's saying, you are the giver of all things. You are the owner of all things in my life. So he acknowledges the money, everything 
belongs to God. He says, when you give to me, I thank you. When you give me more, when you bless me with more, more of your stuff, I thank you. And when you take away what is yours, I worship you. My life is all from you. It is all for you. May you always be honored and exalted in my life. That is how I see this verse of Job unpacked. He said, God, you are the owner of it all. You are the giver of it all. I thank you so much for that grace. I did not deserve everything in my life. If you want it back, it is all yours. I still worship you. Can we say that? Can we say that at all times, in all circumstances? God, I love you no matter what. Amen. No matter what happens to me, no matter the hardship, even if you take away all my money, the banks all go out of business, every single dollar I ever saved is gone. I love you, God. He takes away my health tomorrow. I'm stuck to all these tubes. God, I praise you. I love you, God, no matter what. No matter what happens to me, I love you. Amen? And the ultimate question of this chapter is this. Do we care for the lost children of God? Do we care for the lost children of God? Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? So again, he asks him again, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. So again, he's on this death trip, right? He's like, just kill me, just kill me. Over, right? Verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about the vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? So he's angry that people didn't die. And he is angry that a plant did die. He has compassion for a plant, but not for people. He is caring for the wrong things and not caring for the things of God. Look at verse 11 again. Let's read that together. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So God has concern over all his creation, the city of 120,000 people. And concern here means to take action with tears flowing down the cheeks. So all these people God has concern for, he is crying over. And they cannot tell their right hand from their left, meaning they do not know God or his law. They do not know what is right. And then he says something interesting. He said, and they have many cattle as well. Now what is up with that, right? Is God like really into steaks and stuff, right? It's like, what does he mean there? He is saying all creation is precious to God. All matter to him. Their destruction concerns him. He says, I care for all my creation, even the cattle, even the plants, and especially the people. What about Nineveh? There are thousands of people that I created. And God is saying this to Jonah. It bothers you that this plant died. You didn't have anything to do with its creation or life but you cared about its death. He did nothing. Jonah didn't create this plan. Jonah didn't do anything to sustain it, but when it died, he cared about it. He said, I can't believe this died. And God is saying this. What about Nineveh? There are thousands of people that I created, that I gave life to. Don't you think that it would bother me if they died? 
It bothers you that this plant died. It bothers me so much more that if these people die. We care so much about making money and having things and possessions. But do we care about millions of people around the world and in the city that are lost and dying without Christ? That if obedient followers do not go to them, they will end up in hell. Do we care about the right things? Do we care about the things of God? Look at the end of verse 11. He says, should I not be concerned about the great city? That great city. All people of all nations, regardless of their sin, matter to God. He says, should I not be concerned about Iran? Should I not be concerned about Iraq? Shouldn't I be concerned about Sydney and Seoul? And he is asking us, do we care about Iran? Do we care about Iraq? Do we care about Sydney and Seoul? You see, in this world where profit and comfort seem more important than anything else, we need to remind ourselves that people are what matter to God. People are what Christ died for. Amen? And people should matter to us. This hit home for me one day when I was in Sydney. You know, in Sydney, a lot of the homeless people, they wash car windows. So when you're stopped at a red light, they'll ask, you know, do you want your window washed? You know, and so, you know, hand motions, whatever. And usually they wait for a response like, okay, or no. One night, uh, usually they're not out at night either, but one night um, I was driving home and this window, I was at a red light, it just turned red, and this window washer starts coming over. And I'm like, no, 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 splash, and he starts washing. But the thing is, normally they just use water and a little bit of, and of soap, but this guy had a thick layer of soap. And I was like, oh, man, right? I was like, I don't have much change. I don't want to give him any change, you know, just whatever, right? And so in the, through the soap, I could see the, and, you know, the red light turned green, and, but it was still soapy, and I couldn't see and so this guy's taking his time, doing slow, and I'm like, come on, come on, come on. And the cars behind me, they're honking their horn, and they're starting to drive in the opposite lane to get out of this, and I'm really getting ticked off. I'm like, dude, I did not want this. Hurry up, right? And so right when he finishes, I see it turn yellow, and it's about, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss my green. And I was really ticked off. And so right then and there, he finished. I rolled down the window. I threw change at him, and I just you know, sped at the tail end of the yellow. And I was fuming. I was like, I did not want it. I almost missed my red light, right? Man, of all things, right? So I was like really ticked. And so uh, I get home, and then I had a meeting the next morning. And so, uh, again, so I parked the car. It was nighttime. It was dark. I didn't see anything. Get home. Next morning, I wake up, sun shining, and I see my car. I get in, and I see everything was dirty. Like his, he did a horrible job. All, it was dirty soap just everywhere, right? Dry soap everywhere. And so while I'm driving to my meeting, I'm, I'm ticked. I'm fuming. I was like, I didn't want it. And so this whole time, I'm replaying that night. I'm like, you know what? I, I should have forcefully said no. You know, I shouldn't have given any money. No, you know what? I should have just driven through the red and just like, no. And I'm thinking of all these things. And so as I keep seeing my dirty window and car, I'm like ticked off. I'm like grumbling. And so I get to uh, the, you know, the cafe that I'm about to meet my couple of my friends. I walk out. As I close the door again, the whole side part is all dirty too. And I'm, I'm ticked. I'm like, I shouldn't have done it. I'm walking away, walking to the cafe, see my friend. Oh, hey, what you doing? What's up, man? So we like talk. And then suddenly, we had a sudden huge storm. We finished our meeting in this huge storm. I didn't have an umbrella. So I'm waiting for my friends. My friends and I, we, none of us brought umbrellas. We didn't expect it to rain. So it's like pouring, pouring. We still talk. And then I'm like ticked off. I was like, I should have brought an umbrella. 
I got another meeting to go to. And okay, just grumbling of my heart. And then the rain stops. I get to my car and it's all clean <laughs> because of how hard it rained. And as I'm looking at the rain and I sit in my car, God's spirit really convicted me. God washed my car. And as I was thinking, God was telling me, Eddie, you were so concerned about a dirty window. You were so angry because some dirty soap dried up. How come you don't care about this person as much as you care about the window? And he starts speaking to me like, do you even care that this guy is homeless? Do you even care about this guy's salvation? Do you ever, did you ever think about maybe this guy is trying to scrape up money? That's why he was there at night when normally guys don't do this at night because he has a family and a wife wanting the next meal. And as I was in a car, I was just repenting so much. And I realized, God, I'm so sorry. I care about totally the wrong things. And I had to repent. Because pe people are what matter to God. Amen? Not money, not profit, not cars. People. Jesus died for people. Jesus cares for people. And we need to ask our own hearts. Do we care about the things of God? Do we care that the people that are in our spheres of influence are people dying and going to hell unless they hear the gospel? And thus, our three for eternity campaign. Let us pray and ask God to tr transform our hearts so that we might care for people, lost people, in soul, and throughout this world. Amen? One final thing before you guys pack up. We need to remember this. God has called many other Jonas in this world to go and make disciples of all nations. But many have run away like Jonah and fallen asleep like Jonah until they can no longer hear God's voice calling them. As God calls us today, let us respond with a heart that cares for the things that break his. Amen? Let's pray.